Amen. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. I'm glad to be back. Um, you know, it's awfully nice to be able to get out of town and go somewhere with that seventh grade school teacher and, and uh, spend some time with her and let her know she's still on my radar. And, um, but I thank you, church, for the time to go do that, to spend time with my wife uh, away. And, and it was a wonderful break. It's good to be back, though. And, um, you know, I just want you to know this morning that I love Jesus with all my heart. With every fiber of my being, I love Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's amazing because that love that he gives us allows us to love others. It allows us to be what we need to be. I also love worshiping him. I love gathering in worship and being a part of a, a corporate worship with a, with a body of believers. And, you know, I always view um, Sunday mornings as kind of a time when I'm able to recalibrate, if you will. You know, you go out and you, you, you work the play in, out in the field all week, and then you come back and you recalibrate and you, 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 you get back to true north, if you will, and, and, and it just helps set the tone for the entire week, okay? And so I just love this time together. And um, this morning, I, I want to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you in that. You know, sometimes we get out of our routine over the holidays and um, it it's kind of throws us off sometimes because things aren't the way they normally are and we have to adjust and, and those kind of things. And so today I just want us to reset our routines back to what we need them to be uh, for the kingdom. And I think that's very important because a lot of times we, we think it's about us and life is really not about us. It's about Him. It's about Him and only about Him. And, and I, I think we need to understand that. You know, this morning, um, I'm going to be coming out of Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 14, um, verse 25 through 33, and I'm going to be talking about the path of discipleship. You know, David Platt, he said, No one could ever accuse Jesus of being a great public relations guy. But who else but Jesus would make his, his practice to disperse crowds with difficult and controversial teachings when it would have been so easy to rally an army? Who else but Jesus would choose to continually to insult the power structure of his time rather than to try to make influential friends in high places? Who else but Jesus would align himself with the lowest and the least of these, those with no political clout or social standing? But folks, that's what Jesus did. That's exactly what he did, and that's what he's still doing. You know, maybe, maybe with all of our educational advancements, the multiplicity of Bible studies and, and books that are available and the abundance of churches in many parts of the world, maybe we've forgotten that following Jesus isn't like choosing the syrup to put in our coffee. Sometimes we treat him that way. Ah, we could take it or leave it. I'll just, I just won't have any today. But you see, the call to follow Jesus is a call to forsake everyone and everything other than him. It's a call to radical abandonment. And we're actually in love with the idea of following Jesus. 
It sounds like a good idea. But do we really want to follow him? See, this is where we need to pause and consider whether we're starting to redefine Christianity. I mean, we have to give up everything that we have to follow Jesus. But slowly, subtly, we've reduced following Jesus to the idea of following Jesus. Let me tell you, there's a whole big difference between a bacon cheeseburger and the idea of a bacon cheeseburger. Now I got your attention. Just had to mention the cheeseburger. But we do this in all sorts of ways. We, we rationalize Jesus' demanding teachings. We say things like, well, of course, Jesus wasn't literally and actually telling you to abandon your family. Well, of course, he wasn't really saying to leave everything behind in order to follow him. And while it's true that Jesus didn't and doesn't require everyone to leave their father and their occupation to follow him, he does require absolute obedience and real commitment. I mean, rather than joyfully embracing his call, we need to hear this. We have the self-serving tendency to water it down into theoretical sacrifice and hypothetical abandonment. Let me boil it down for you. We want to follow a Jesus that doesn't require anything from us. In essence, we've redefined Christianity. We've given in to the dangerous temptation of taking Jesus out of the Bible and, and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we're more comfortable with. One that doesn't demand quite as much. One that doesn't call us to follow him exactly. It's a Jesus who's okay with our materialism. Fine with nominal devotion that doesn't require any sacrifice. And pleased with a brand of faith that requires attendance on Sunday. But no real commitment day to day in our lives. But I wonder if I could help you today. I wonder if I could help you push through the haze, the fog of self-justification and ask a simple question as we study the words of God, of Christ together. What if he was serious? What if he was serious about what he said? Read these words with me. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 25 and following. It says, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he gets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he has strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Loving Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. We thank you for sending us a Savior to save us from our sins. We thank you for bringing us a Redeemer so that we could be redeemed for all eternity. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving your life for ours. We thank you for teaching us what it means to be your disciple. Holy Spirit, I ask that in this moment, in this time, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would lead us and guide us in all truth, and that you would convict us of areas that we need to give to our Lord and Savior Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, Gary Enrig, he explains that discipleship was common in the ancient world. We might associate that similar to something that we do in our world called apprenticeship. You know, there would be a student in religious context, a disciple was a pupil, a student, who attached himself to a teacher or a rabbi and to acquire his religious knowledge and skill. And he went through a process of training and testing But his ultimate loyalty was not to his rabbi, but was to the Torah and to tradition. I mean, you might think about it in this way. Um, Today, might be like a a student that uh, chooses their own university and course of study. Well, that's, that's kind of when we talk about discipleship, that's the way it was then. But understand this, that discipleship to Jesus is very different Because the disciples' allegiance is not to the Torah and it's not to tradition, but it is to Jesus himself. It is to the Master. That's where our allegiance lies. The word disciple in the New Testament doesn't mean some kind of second stage Christian. Sometimes we think, well, I'm a believer, but a disciple must be somebody that, 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 that does more, that somehow has this, uh, something else that I don't have. But what we need to understand is that everybody who gave their life to Jesus became a disciple. And everyone who became a disciple is a Christian. I think we need to understand that and let that sink in because we think that somehow a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who is, you know, a super Christian. No. 
We're all called to be Christians. We're all called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Recognize that. See, the primary term that Jesus used to describe his followers was disciples. A disciple is a learner, one who grows to be like his or her teacher, the master. Jesus said that in order for to be his disciples, we must bear the cross. We must bear our cross. And the cross means we must crucify our self-directed life. Crucify our self-directed life. This is very important. <laughs> because in order to follow Jesus, you have to die. Jesus said there in verse 20, 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. See, you know, it is possible for each of us to follow Christ superficially. We can, we can follow Christ and kind of just barely scratch the surface. We don't want to go deep. We don't want to be a fanatic. We don't want people to think we're weird or crazy or anything else. But we can, we, it is possible for us to follow Jesus very superficially. Let me tell you, there were crowds in that day that were following him superficially. Verse 25 is crucial for understanding what follows. It says there, now large crowds were going along with him. Large crowds were traveling with him. They were going along with him. They enjoyed hearing what he had to say. But I guarantee you, they were not with him. You follow me? Because you can go along with somebody and not be with them. And so Jesus turns to them and he, and he puts it down. You know, every pastor would love to have that kind of congregation. I mean, we always, every ministry desires more followers. Pastors with large congregations, they, they get their books published and, and they're invited to speak all over the place because they're popular, because they're successful. And many times we usually measure success by numbers. And somehow we think bigger is better. But Jesus was different. Large crowds did not fool him. Large crowds did not fool him. He knew that many were following him for selfish or superficial reasons. I mean, it was the exciting thing to do. Oh, everybody wants to be about what's the, 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 the parade, the party in town that's going on, the latest, the greatest, the newest. Oh, everybody wants to be a part of that. Maybe you or someone you know is going to get healed today. Maybe today's your lucky day. You're there with the, the master and he's going to heal you because you're following him superficially. You just happen to be in the crowd. But Jesus was not a false recruiter. He wanted to weed out those who followed him for superficial reasons. Because when the battle heated up, when it came time 
to do the spiritual battle, he knows that when, the, when it gets hot, when the things heat up, that those who are superficial are going to be bailing out of the ship as fast as they can go because they don't want to be in there. And so he tells them early on, it's going to cost you everything. To follow me is going to cost you everything. He turns to this great multitude and he lays out the path of discipleship. This is what it takes to be my disciple. And the key to this passage, if you notice, there's three times with a simple designation. He says, if you want to be my disciple. Oh, you can be a disciple. You can be a potential disciple. You can be a peripheral disciple. But if you want to be my disciple, this is what it takes. I think that's huge. Because sometimes we could say, you know, there's a difference between a baby and my baby. There's a difference between a house and my house. (laughs) I guarantee you there's a difference between a wife and my wife. You see, when you put that personal pronoun on there, it makes all the difference in the world. We go back to the psalmist who said, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, there's, it shows possession. And when Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple, If you're not willing to leave your family, if you're not willing to carry the cross, if you're not willing to get rid of all your possessions, then you cannot be my disciple. Folks, that's a tall order, no matter who you are. Jesus is saying, my disciple is the one who truly belongs to me. See, at the end of uh, verse, or verse 26, he says, if anyone comes to me, coming in the sense of coming to be a true disciple. And then at the end of verse 27, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, those being with him and following him in that. See, there can be no doubt about the power of commitment. But listen, People can be loyal to a leader or a principal and they will be willing to pay the price required. And those type of people will always overwhelm people who value comfort and convenience more than a cause. We see it. When we see that loyalty, when we see that commitment, see our society, recognize this, our society does not breed strong commitment. I mean, the the self-centered, self-fulfillment ethic seduces us to believe that we have no higher loyalty than the one to ourselves. Take care of you. Be loyal to yourself. Be true to yourself. But the tragedy is that that self-centered values eat away at commitment. Not only commitment to leaders and causes, but that same self-centered leads us, it eats away at our marriages. 
because it's all about me. It's all about what I want. I gotta be true to myself. Jesus says, come and die. That's commitment. See, this is an evangelistic text. This is Jesus calling people to come to him and to follow after him. And through that, they become his own disciples. That's the point. That's the point. If you come to me, then you become mine. You are my disciples. It's an invitation for people to come to salvation. There's a lot of people who are following him on that day with interest. But not many are truly wanting to be his disciples. Frankly, it's easy to see that in this text. There's no other way to interpret it. Particularly when you notice that the audience being addressed is a great multitude. And he's saying to them, to the masses who are following him, who are hearing him, who are seeing the miracles, who are being attracted to him, and the process of deciding what they're going to do with him. He says this to them. This is an invitation from Jesus to become true disciples who are in every sense his own possession. You know, it's kind of like this. I have a friend, his name, he used to come to church here. His name is Dr. Conger, Leo Conger. And um, he, he's, he's a doctor, but he also flies airplanes. And I've always had a fascination with airplanes since I was a little kid. And he invited me one day to come in what he called poke a hole in the sky, is to, to go up and, and fly this plane, and uh, just to go with him. And um, he invited me to come along at his expense, and we were going to fly down to Brenham, Brenham, Texas, and we were going to uh, have a hamburger at the airport there. There was a little diner there, a 50-style diner called the, the Southern Flyer, um, and we were going to go down there and have a hamburger and a strawberry bluebell shake. When he said strawberry bluebell shake, I said, I'm in. You know, I mean, I, I, he laughed as we got there and we're walking in. He, he said, you know, this is the home of the $100 hamburger. And I was like, what is that? You know, and, and by the time you add fuel and all the other stuff in, you know, probably about 100 bucks to fly down there. Anyway, uh, my point is this. In accepting his offer, I committed my very life to him. If he flies safely, I'm safe. If he crashes, I die. The instant I said yes to his free offer, I'm totally committed to him. My life is in his hands. I have entrusted my life to him. Understand this, young people. Whenever you climb into a car with somebody else that's driving, you are committing your life to them in their hands. Now, I say that as a way of illustration because I didn't realize, I said yes to a hamburger and a strawberry shake and a plane ride. But I didn't realize I was committing my entire life to him. See, Jesus Christ he offers the water of life to everyone who thirsts. But what we need to understand is that while we receive his free offer, we are no longer our own. We no longer belong to us. 
We've been bought with a price. And so truly to follow Jesus Christ, we must consider the cost and not begin to follow him superficially only to turn back later when things get tough. And that's what Jesus is warning against in our text. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. And we don't like that because we're selfish individuals. And we think somehow we deserve what we have. Folks, we must count the cost of following Jesus. You know, pollster George Gallup, he contends that fewer, fewer than 10% of evangelical Christians could be called deeply committed. We'll be committed to a point, preacher. But after that, you're on your own. Folks, that's an astounding number. Most of those who profess Christianity don't even know the basic teachings and don't live differently because of their Christian experience. George Barna found that almost half, 46% of evangelicals, read their Bible only once a week, if at all. How are you going to know what God is speaking to you if you're not in His Word? How are you going to know what he is calling you to do if you are not if you don't get to know him? You see, God has provided everything at his expense and he invites sinners to come to this great dinner, this great feast, and you can't bring anything and you can't do anything to deserve that invitation. He's done it all for us. And he provides it all by his free grace. And our text today shows that what seems like an abrupt shift shows us the cost of following Christ. And it teaches us that to truly follow Jesus Christ, we must consider the cost and put Him above everything else. I like the way Juan Carlos Ortiz tells the story of the pearl of the great price. The pearl of great price. Man sees this pearl and he says to the merchant, <laughs> he says... I want this pearl. How much is it? And the seller says, well, it's very expensive. And he says, how much? He said, a lot. Well, do you think I could buy it? Oh, yes, yes. Everyone can buy it. But I thought you said it was very expensive. I did. Well, how much? All right. He says, it'll be everything that you have. He says, okay, I'll buy it. Okay, what do you have? He says, well, I have $10,000 in the bank. $10,000. Okay. That's good. What else? Well, that's all I have. Nothing more? He says, well... I got a little bit of cash in my wallet. He says, well, how much? Pulls his wallet out and he counts through it. He says, about $100. He said, okay, I'll have it. Is that it? What else do you have? He said, that's all. Well, where do you live? Hmm. In a house, yes, I guess I own a house. He said, writes down house. That's mine. Where do you expect me to sleep? In my camper? Oh, you have a camper. 
Well, that too. What else? I guess you just want me to sleep in my car. You got a car? I have two of them. Okay, two cars. Now we're getting somewhere. He keeps writing it down, making this list. He said, it's all mine. He said, look, you've taken my money. You've taken my house. You've taken my camper and my cars. Where's my family going to live? Oh, so you have a family. He says, yeah. I have a wife and three kids. Well, they're mine now. Suddenly the seller exclaims, oh, I almost forgot. You, yourself, need that too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, and you too. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, now listen. I will allow you to use all these things for the time being. But don't forget, they're all mine. Just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up. Because now, I am the owner. You see, following Jesus costs more than anything. Except not following him. Following Jesus costs more than anything except not following him. Consider the consequences of not following Jesus. I mean, if we profess to follow Christ but then go back on our commitment, people are going to make fun of us just like they would somebody who started to build something and couldn't finish it. We ran out of money. He doesn't have enough to finish the project. Oh, he claimed to become, he became a Christian, but look at him. Is that what you call a Christian? Some Christian he is. And folks, the world is looking for that. They're desiring to pick us apart like that. Or we'll face the the damning effects of being defeated by the enemy. Because we didn't consider the intensity of the battle. I mean, Satan loves it when a Christian's testimony is ruined because he didn't consider the demands of following Christ in this evil world. Jesus used a third illustration to show the cost of not following him. I'm almost done. It's that of salt that has lost its tasteless, its its savor. The salt in Jesus' day was often corrupted with other substances. If moisture hit the salt, those impurities would would come to light and, and the salt would lose its saltiness and its worthless for any useful purpose. And had to be thrown away. Jesus is saying that if a follower of his doesn't live as he ought to live, then he's useless to God. I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want any of you to be that person. Here's the deal. To truly follow Jesus, we must put him above everything else in life. I mean, Jesus' words are tough and, and they're sobering. They wake us up. Because we all fall short. We all know where we've been. We all know the things that we've done. But we must honestly apply and work at applying His words to our heart. So let me ask you as we start this new year. Is there any relationship that comes ahead of Christ? In your life? Is he first? 
If he is, then obviously you are going to want to spend time with him. A lot of time if he's first. You're going to want to spend time in his word. You're going to want to spend time with his people. You're going to want to be a part of what he is doing. You're going to be fellowshipping with him. And you won't allow any other relationship to take priority off of that or to take your obedience away from him. Is he the Lord of your plans, your thoughts, of all that you do? Most of us probably haven't thought about him since last week. But I guarantee you, he demands more than Sunday mornings. Or could you selfishly be clinging to your plans, your ways, instead of seeking to please him in all things, beginning with the thoughts that you entertain? Is he Lord of your finances? Is he Lord of your possessions? Are you faithful in managing those things that he has given you? To use. Because we're not the owner. He owns it all. Do you give generously to his work? Folks, there's some things we need to look at. Salvation is absolutely free. But once you receive it, it costs you everything. A full commitment to him to be his disciple. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In just a moment, we're going to bow and pray together. And Kyle and Macy are going to come up and they're going to lead us in another song. You know, this song is, is our time. I mean, we all fall short. No one here is batting a thousand. We all strike out. We all fail miserably short of God's glory in our relationships in our spending in our eating in all of the things that we do we fall short and so we need a savior if you've never confessed him as your savior and lord i beg you to do that this morning we live in a crazy world stuff happens you know it and i know it life is better with Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, you know the, the commitment of each heart here. And Father, I pray that you would use your word in our lives to, to hone us and to draw us closer to you. Father, I pray that as a, as a church family, Father, that, that we would, even as iron sharpens iron, Father, that we would be that kind of sharpening for each other. Father, that, that if we're not living as disciples, then, then Father, that we would be called out in that. Father, that we would be accountable to that. That, Father, we would walk together as we walk towards you. Lord Jesus, we humbly bow. We, we submit our will to your will. Father, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray, Father, for a new commitment level in each of our lives. Father, to you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that this morning, that as we have a time of response, Father, that you 
would give us courage to respond to you. Father, many times we've heard your word and we've left unchanged. But Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I pray, Father, that would be the case in each of our lives today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for all that you do and are going to do in each one of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. My invitation to you this morning is simply this. As if the Holy Spirit is speaking something to your heart, if he is drawing you, if there is something that has come to the surface in your heart, maybe you want to be a part of this fellowship. Maybe you want to confess Christ as your Savior. Maybe there's something that that you need to repent of. Folks, we're all human and we all fall short. There's no shame in asking God to forgive you. We think that somehow somebody's going to think we have sin in in our life. And you know what? We do. Get over it. Get clean. Get right. But this time is a time for us to admit our humanity. To come before Him and say, God, I've failed. But I want to be right. I want to do better. I want to make it what it needs to be. I want to be your disciple, Jesus. Whatever He's putting on your heart, I invite you to come.